Good morning. I'm Associate Pastor Matt Sprankle, and I'm glad you're joining us online. I'm going to be completing our series that we've been doing called Triggered. In this series, we've looked at emotions and how to master them in faith by the Spirit of God. We've understood anger, fear, sadness, biblically, what they are, their natural and good functions, and how they can be twisted and triggered by sin. But we can respond in faith, and in so doing, God saves us from the destruction that these emotions triggered can cause. Enjoyment is the last emotion that we'll be studying together, seeking to understand it as God understands it. We all know the feeling of enjoyment. It's the sweetness in life, and we thank God for it. Desire for more pleasure and enjoying and enjoyment can also enslave us. It can destroy our lives and keep us from inheriting the kingdom of God. Hell will be full of people who rejected Christ because they loved pleasure more. They pursued their passion over faith in Christ. They faced a fork where the Lord said, go this way, and their pleasure and passion and desire for enjoyment said, go this way, and they chose that path. Enjoyment's basic feeling is pleasure. Pleasure is triggered by physical, emotional, or spiritual experiences. I have a chart here where you can see some of the things we enjoy, pleasures we seek, things that you may call delights in life. There are physical pleasures like food, drink, rest, fragrance, and touch. All those things give us physical pleasure, which we enjoy. There are emotional pleasures we enjoy. There's pride in what you or others have achieved, victory, Meeting a challenge gives you a sense of enjoyment, satisfaction. There's relief, which is something that we enjoy. Amusement, that playful feeling you have. Compassion, the pleasure and enjoyment you feel in helping someone who's suffering. Uplift, seeing a kind act that lifts your heart. Those are things that we enjoy emotionally. And then there are things that we can enjoy spiritually, kind of the highest or deepest type of enjoyment. These are the things that we enjoy, not just with our body or with our mind, but all the way down into our heart. Things that are volitional, down to the core of who we are. Things we enjoy with our whole soul, you might say. So there's ecstasy, which is rapturous delights. It's as if you're being carried away, mind, body, and soul, all in the same direction towards this pleasurable or delightful thing that is just almost beyond the word enjoyment. There's zeal. When you have a strong enthusiasm, a passion for something, and it comes out of your heart and it captures your mind and emotions and it's manifested in your body in the way that you work towards this thing and you try to rally people around this, this strong zeal. And this is a spiritual enjoyment. There's hope and love. There's wonder and peace. That sense of wholeness and well-being. This is something we enjoy, something we desire. And so enjoyment can be experienced physically emotionally, spiritually. And these are gifts that God gives us. They're good things. But like all good things, they can be twisted. These types of pleasures that we enjoy are not in themselves evil, but good. Without the fall, we would have enjoyed the pleasures of life in all three of these dimensions of our soul. We would have eaten, we would have drank, we would have rested, we would have worked and sang, achieved, played, we would have honored and exalted and hoped and loved and had enthusiasms and zeal, and we would have experienced peace. These are all good. 
an enjoyment today, after the fall, after sin entered the human race through the rebellion of our father, Adam, after death came into this world through the sin of our father, Adam, even despite our twisted and warped nature as human beings, God still gives us enjoyments and he blesses us with them. Enjoyment can be a blessing from God. And you see this in the scriptures. Satisfaction in my work, satisfaction with my food and my drink, and my lot in life. These are gifts that God gives. If I enjoy these things, God has given me that as a gift. How wonderful. Listen to this verse. This is a really important passage that I read in my early 20s, which really transformed my understanding of happiness and where I'm going to really find deep enjoyment from. Or rather, who is going to give me deep enjoyment? It says in Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 20, Then I realized, this is King Solomon looking back over all of his investigations into what life is worth and what the meaning of life is and what's worth doing in life. And he says, Then I realized that it's good and proper for a man to eat and drink and find satisfaction Think of that as enjoyment. Find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. I saw that it was good and proper for a man to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun because this is, this is his lot in life. It's a good thing for a man to enjoy those things. And then he says, moreover, when God gives, when God gives, When God gives any man wealth and possessions, and when God enables him to enjoy them. When God enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work. This is the gift of God. And then to finish it off, he describes this type of person who's been given the gift of enjoyment. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Wouldn't you like that? As you get older and older, you seldom reflect on the days of your life in sorrow and pain and regret. But rather, God is keeping you occupied with gladness of heart. Enjoyment that you want is a gift that only God gives. All people, anywhere, at any time, that enjoy their work, that have wealth and possession and have been enabled to enjoy them, who accept their lot, who eat and drink and find satisfaction. All of those things which characterize so much of the longing of the human race. Every single time a person enjoyed that, it was a gift that God gave them. Christian or not. And so that means if we want to enjoy life, then we need to go to the one who gives enjoyment. And that is God. And he gives us enjoyment as we walk with him in faith and follow his son, Jesus. God also gives us happiness. Ecclesiastes 2.26. This is a great verse to memorize. It says, to the one who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. If you want to be wise, if you want to know how things work, if you want to be happy, it is a gift that God gives to the one who pleases him. He also gives marriage in youth. There's enjoyment amongst a young newlywed couple. My wife and I have been married for 18 years. I'm in my 40s. And when I see young couples, and I remember what that was like, there's a great deal of enjoyment and delight there. God knows that. God created that. And God gives that to some. He says in Proverbs 5.18, Let your fountain, referring to the wife, let your fountain be blessed. And then rejoice in the wife 
of your youth. Rejoice. Enjoy. Enjoyment. Enjoy the wife of your youth. Let your fountain be blessed. This is a gift that I've given you. You see, as I said at the beginning, enjoyment can be a blessing from God. But enjoyment, it can also be a curse. It can also be a judgment from God. This is hard for us to accept, but it's no less true and no less um, uh, evident in the scriptures. The same scriptures we read about God blessing with enjoyment, we see all through the scriptures that God actually gives enjoyment as a judgment. How could God give enjoyment as a judgment? Well, read Romans one twenty four. This part of the book of Romans, which is Paul's gospel, the, the thing he's been preaching around the Mediterranean, written to the church in Romans, laid out. He starts by talking about the sinfulness of the Gentiles. And then he talks in chapter 2 about the sinfulness of the Jews. And then in chapter 3 he says, everybody is under the wrath of God for our sin. So in the beginning of chapter 1, he's describing how God pours out his wrath and judgment on a wicked people. On people who are um, his enemies. And here's what it says. Romans 1, 24 and 26. It says, Therefore, God gave them up. He gave them up. He let them go. They're, they're pulling towards the cliff. He's got them by the arm and he gives them up a little bit. He lets them go a little bit. He gives them what they want. You see that? Therefore, God gave them up to what? He gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. For this reason, God gave them up. This is verse 26, skipping verse 25. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Homosexuality is being practiced. People are pursuing their passion. They're chasing their lusts. They want this. And God is giving them what their hearts desire, their pleasure. He's giving them what they say they enjoy. And it's actually a form of judgment. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12, you see the same thing being taught, that enjoyment of evil things, sinful things, God can give you over to those things as a form of judgment. It says, therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned. So God is condemning them. He sends them a spirit of delusion, of of wandering. He sends them a spirit that makes them chase after their passions. It says, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What did they have pleasure in? These people who have rejected God and are chasing after things that are sinful before God, what did they take pleasure in? What did they enjoy? They enjoyed unrighteousness. And so God, it says, sends them a strong delusion in order that they may be condemned. As they pursue these things, he lets them go after them. He doesn't restrain it. And this is a form of judgment. And so throughout the record of history of God's people, we hear God saying over and over again the damage that desires and pleasures can do. God repeatedly warns us of the damage desire can do. For example, quarrels and murder. If we give over ourselves to our desires and our pleasure, if, if we are chasing after things that we want to enjoy, that we like, that feel right, it causes fights and quarrels. James 4.2 says, You desire and you do not have, 
You want something to enjoy, and you don't get it. So you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask God. And you ask, and you don't receive from God because you ask wrongly. Why? Why is it wrong for me to ask God for these things that I want, that I'll enjoy? He says to spend it on your passions. You see, your your desire, your pleasure, the thing your heart is set on is invalid. It's wrong before God. But you enjoy it. You want it. And so that leads you to fighting and quarrel. When you don't control these emotions, this desire to enjoy, then it can lead to fights and quarrels. It also leads to shredding your soul. Your soul, the whole you, gets shredded when you are pursuing desires that are sinful. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So here you are, and you want to tell the truth. You really do. But if you tell the truth, then you won't be able to get that sinful thing that you're after. And so you lie, and you shred your conscience. Or maybe you are trying to walk in faithfulness before God, but there's this person that you really want to like you or respect you or your boss or your society, and they're they're doing things that are not right, and they're putting pressure on you to go their way, And instead of standing firm with what is right before God, you go this way. And again, violate your conscience, sin against the Lord. And you're shredding yourself. You're tearing yourself up. Right? You feel guilty because you did something that you shouldn't have done. And now your emotions, they're condemning you even while your heart is wanting to justify you. And it's just ripping you apart. This is what happens to us as we give in to desires that are sinful. They wage war against our soul. They shred our soul. Maybe you experience this. Maybe you've, you're experiencing this right now. Something else is poverty. God is constantly warning us about strong desires because they can lead us to poverty. Proverbs 23 says, Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. Oh, I've got to have more, right? Homer. <laughs> Homer Simpson. He's a drunk and a glutton. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. And slumber will clothe them with rags. Poverty is often associated with wild living because people are ruled by their passion. They just got to feel how it feels. They got to have that comfort that comes from the food or that satisfaction that comes from the food or that sense of whatever that comes from being drunk all the time. It's just, it becomes, an, we call it an addiction, but really what it is is they are enslaved to their passion. And if we give ourselves over to desire, God constantly warns us it will destroy Your life. This is what God says in Philippians 3. He says their destiny, talking about people who are ruled by their desires, ruled by their passions, chasing pleasure, just wanting enjoyment at any expense. Their destiny is destruction. They're going to end up destroyed in this life and consigned to hell after. Their God is their stomach. Their God is not the Lord Jesus Christ. Their God is their stomach. Satisfaction, feelings, sensations. We live in a sensuous age where it's just about hammering away at your body so you can get a little bit more pleasure with drugs or sex or food. We just got to feel things. We just need to feel it. And this sensuousness is characterized by stomach worship. It's this, it's this worship of our sensate nature. And that leads us right into destruction. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Everything they think about is about pleasure and gratifying that desire 
They build their whole life around the things that they enjoy that give them that sense of pleasure. And this brings destruction. And so you see, it's easy to twist desire. It's so easy to be deceived by your enjoyment. We see this in figures throughout the Bible. Adam and Eve. The devil comes to Eve and says, look at this beautiful piece of fruit. And she says when she saw that it was good for eating, that it was beautiful, and that it would make her wise, oh, she took it and she ate. Right? She had a desire for wisdom. That's not bad. She had a desire for some tasty fruit. That's not bad. She had a desire for, you know, other things, I'm sure. They're not bad desires, but they were twisted to disobey God. And so it brought about not only her judgment, but the judgment of the man who took and ate. He was responsible. I'm not putting the responsibility on Eve. But he was um, got to through her. And she was got to through her desires, twisted by Satan. There's Jacob and Joseph. You remember Joseph and his technicolor dream coat? Joseph, the young boy who would become Pharaoh's number two. Joseph's brothers hated him. Why? Because his father favored him. Favoritism. Is it bad that Jacob loved Joseph, that he, he saw in Joseph the, the, the beauty of his dead wife, whom was his favorite wife? No. Is it bad that he, he saw the gifts and talents that God gave Joseph and he was developing those? No. But he wasn't loving his children equally. He was playing favorites. And so that desire got twisted. And because of it, his, his children were resentful and bitter towards Joseph. And they took the occasion to sell him into slavery, Egyptian slavery. There's David. King David was the greatest king of Israel, and God said, you may not count the soldiers in your army. You can't count the horses, because you'll start getting proud. Look how big my military is. Look how many horses I have. I'm, I'm secure. I'm tough. But the Lord is your rock. Your Lord is your shield. The Lord is your security. You do not put your faith in horses. And so he was forbidden. The king was forbidden from taking a census of the fighting people. But David did it anyway. Even Joab, who was a pretty wicked guy, his right-hand man, his general, even Joab was like, don't do this. But he did it anyway. Why? He wanted the feeling of security, the peace that comes from knowing you have plenty of soldiers to defend God's people. That's not bad to want that. But his desire for it caused him to cross the line. And because of that, God brought judgment on the nation of Israel for David's disobedience. So you see in the Bible over and over again that human beings can easily have their desires that that may be good desires twisted towards sin. And then the wreckage that comes upon it. And so this is why the human race in its own wisdom, is trying to create religions that will rival you know, the true religion, Christianity, and get you provide a solution to you. How do you deal with this emotion thing, this, this desire, this pleasure, this delight, this desire for good feelings? How do you deal with it? Because it can destroy your life, and everybody knows that. I mean, you go back to the ancients, you go to today, everybody knows that. From Aristotle and Socrates to you know, Jordan Peterson and you know, Tony Robbins, they all understand that that pleasure and delight and desire can drive you off into the, into the dark. And so what tends to happen is there's two ditches that get created by man. As man tries to create its own, its own religion, its own means of salvation, its own way of protecting us from the desires inside of us, it, it, it creates two ditches. The first ditch is asceticism. And this is what the Lord is attacking in 1 Timothy 4. And the second ditch is lawlessness. So on one side, it's like you got to beat your body, you got to be harsh with your body, you got to be really strict, you got to be really disciplined, and you got to get up early and only eat eggs and don't eat that food, and you know just got to really beat your body because you can't let desire, right? It's almost like a mistreatment of the body and not recognizing all the good things that God has given us to enjoy. It's almost a rejection of enjoyment. It's like Buddhism, but for the West. Often it's called Stoicism. You may have heard of the word Stoicism. 
And all Stoicism is, is Buddhism in the West. If you take Buddhism and Stoicism, they're exactly the same thing, except for the, the men who are at the top. So you got Buddha over here, Siddhartha, and then you got like, you know, Marcus Aurelius and some other big names in the Stoic movement. But when you hear Stoic and you hear Buddhism, it's the same thing. And the core idea is this, to desire is the problem. Got to get rid of desire. Got to suppress desire. So we get all ascetic. And Christians can start getting into this nonsense. And so this is why 1 Timothy 4 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, so there are demons involved, and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And here's what they do. They say, don't get married. They forbid marriage. And they require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Don't eat this. Don't touch this. Don't taste this. Don't get married. Don't, 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 don't. That's, that's asceticism. Avoid that ditch. The other ditch is lawlessness. It's like, hey, I can do whatever I want. I'm a Christian. I'm forgiven. Right? God made this for me to enjoy it. Eat, drink, and be merry. Get, chill out. It's just about loving your neighbor. <laughs> and I get to define what love your neighbor means. <laughs> it's like a bottle. You know, you just take love your neighbor. That's the only thing Jesus cares about. Just love God, love people. That's it, man. It's all that matters. You don't worry about those laws, you know. And what they do is they take the word love and they take the lid off of the word love and they pour the meaning of the word love out and they pour in their own meaning of the word love and all they've done is create their own law. And this is lawlessness. When the Bible says to love people, the way you define the word love are all the laws of God. The law of God shows you what love looks like. If you love people, you'll do this in this situation. You know, Deuteronomy 8, 6. If you love people, you do this in this situation. Judge 6, 9. You, you read through the scriptures and you find out what love looks like by looking at the law of God and the exemplars of God, God's people in the, in the scriptures. And so lawless people are always looking for a way to do whatever their passions desire. And they use the gospel as a means of lawlessness. Well, I'm forgiven. All my sins are washed away. Right? So why can't I just enjoy this? God made it for me to enjoy, right? Didn't you read what it says in Timothy? In Timothy it says that God created to be received with thanksgiving. Oh, see, I'm just supposed to enjoy all these things. No. That can be lawlessness. And so for you, 1 Corinthians 6.12, if, if this is you, your, your approach, it says all things are lawful for me. Oh, see, I, all things are lawful. That's what they were saying in Corinth. And this was a very immoral place and a very immoral church. <laughs> and they were like, look, we can do anything, right? We're, we're, we're forgiven. And it's all lawful now, right? Christ abolished the law, right? Isn't that what it says or something like that? And, and Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I'm not going to be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, sure, stomach for the food, but here's the deal. God will destroy both, one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. There are some rules here. You were created for certain things. There's a pattern. There's a, a nature you have. There's a way you ought to be. And you find that in the scriptures. And what Christ's death has done has broken the power of addiction and sin and desire in your life. By the Holy Spirit, by the word of God, he has enabled you to fight and break those things which have bound you up. So that you can live for him. So that you can live rightly so that you can live according to your nature, which is an image bearer of God. So it's not about lawlessness. It's not about asceticism. Those are two ditches when it comes to enjoyment and desire that you must avoid. Instead, Christians must learn to enjoy what is good in faith. You don't enjoy what is bad. That's the lawless person, sexual morality. You don't just enjoy what's good. 
which is something that everybody can do, but you enjoy what is good in faith. How do you enjoy in faith? Well, that's what we're going to look at. It takes wisdom. It takes parents coaching you. It takes coaches coaching you. It takes practice, and it takes a firm reliance on the Holy Spirit. So, for example, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 4 speaks to this need that you must develop to be able to tell the right way and the right time to enjoy good things. For everything that is in season, there is a season and a time for every matter under the heaven, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time to enjoy things. There's a time to dance and to and to laugh, but there's also a time when it's not appropriate. And so knowing the right timing, knowing when it's right to enjoy the good things that God has for you, that takes real wisdom, doesn't it? This is how you deal with this emotion. We looked at anger and we looked at fear and we looked at sadness and now we're looking at enjoyment. And it's a little bit different than the other ones. And it tends to erupt and just burn down our life as we want more and more pleasure. And it's very easy. And so what we have to learn to do is not say, no more enjoyment. <laughs> you know, we can say, no more fear. Fear is always wrong. We don't want to fear except fear God. Now, let me, let me go back. Um, that's not true. Th- there are things that you should be afraid of, rightly so. But I, I don't think we quite mean the same thing when we're talking about it. Right? We're talking about fear of people, uh, fear of the future, I should probably say there's a whole bunch of things that we tend to fear that we don't want anything to do with, right? But when it comes to enjoyment and things that we enjoy, there's lots of good things to enjoy. And the problem isn't enjoying them. The problem is that we enjoy them at the right, wrong time or we enjoy them in the wrong amount or we enjoy them in the wrong way, right? So we have to develop this wisdom. That's what Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 4 is saying. And then again, Ecclesiastes 10, 17. Listen to this. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of noble birth. And whose prince eats at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Ah, so there's a prince in the land and he's eating and that's good at the proper time to get strong, but not to get drunk. He's not just parting and being a total, you know, prodigal son and just taking off and doing drugs as he waits to be the king. But rather he's eating at the proper time. He's eating for the right reason. He's enjoying his meal, but he's not getting wasted. And what does it say about that? It says, blessed is the land whose king and prince know the proper time in the proper way. So the point I'm, I'm seeing God make in these verses is there's a proper time and place, which should drive you and I in faith to ask the question, how do we know when enjoyment is good? And that's the next thing we'll look at. How do we know when enjoyment is good? Well, it's good when it's mean, manner, motive, cost. And timing are right and wise before God. I'll say that again. It's good when it's manner, means, motive, cost, and timing are right and wise before God. It's manner. The manner in which you're going about getting this thing is right. Right? The means. How do you get this thing that you're after? Do you have to do anything that violates God's word? Do you have to do anything that's wrong before someone else? Are you having to... to, to, to shirk on your responsibilities. The means that you use to get the enjoyment is important to God. What about the motive? Is your motive, like James says, so that you can enjoy and spend it all on your pleasures? Or is your motive simply to enjoy the good gifts that God has given in the amount that he has given? 
What, what, what is your heart set on? What's the motive? Is it gratification of this deep need? Is it pride? Is it selfishness? Is it, what is it? What's the motive? God cares about the motive. And then finally, uh, the last two, cost. What does it cost you to chase after this thing you desire? So this car is beautiful. God, it's a great car. It's not bad. i got to have a car. And God blesses people with cars all the time. But this car is going to cost me $60,000. And I don't have enough money for that. But I really want it. So it's going to cost too much. Now, is it wrong for that guy to buy the car? Well, no, because he has the money. So sometimes the cost reveals to us that this is not something for us to enjoy. No now, not forever. And finally, timing. It's all about timing. Sometimes we can be so just driven to get the thing we want that we're willing to to just stomp all over people and just it's like dancers that don't dance in sync. They're just stomping all over each other. So that, that's what we can do. So it's like I really, really want, you know, uh, to be vindicated. I want people to see that I've done a really good job. But the way that I would have to do what I would have to do to get people to see that is straight up say, look how good I'm doing. And the Bible says, let another man praise you, not your own mouth, someone else and not your own lips. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence. There's a whole bunch of Proverbs about exalting yourself and talking about yourself. And so if I was to do that, wanting people to give me honor for the good work I did, which is a wanting to be honored is not a bad thing, right? Now, my motive could be pride because I feel like I'm not getting the respect I deserve. And there's pride there. And then the the means by which I get that honor, at least I try to get that honor, is by saying, hey, look at this good job I'm doing. <laughs> and the timing is right in the middle of a meeting when the boss is trying to communicate the next steps for the team and I stand up and start talking about my awesomeness. Timing's bad, <laughs> right? And it's costing vital time in this meeting that we need for something else. So see, you are if you're watching this, chances are you're an adult and you're capable of asking the question, what do I want right now? What would I enjoy right now in this situation? And you are capable of saying, is, is the manner in which I'm going to get it, is that right before God? Is the means that I'm going to use to get it, is that right? What are the right means to get it? What about my motivation? What about cost? What about timing? And what you'll find is for the bigger things that have more of a consequence, for things you enjoy that maybe have more of a ripple effect in your life, if you'll humble yourself before God and ask these questions before you go after it, that's faith. You're doing it in faith. Because what you're trying to do is say, Lord, I fear you. You're my God. I trust you. You're the boss. And I want to make sure that this thing I'm chasing is right before you. And so I am using the faculty of reason that you've given me to make sure that I'm not doing anything that would offend you. Because you're my God and I love you and I want to do that. And if that's you, if you hear me say that and you think that's me, I want to be that guy, then ask these questions. And you will be. Think about Jesus. He wanted to eat. He was hungry when he was being tempted by Satan. Was he not? And what happened? The devil said, turn this bread, turn this rock into bread. And he said, oh, I'm hungry. It's true. I'd love to have some food. But the means by which I would have to do that would be violating God's law. But instead, God says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You want to eat? That's a good desire. But the means by which I would go after it. And the motive, it would be wrong. And then they took him to a high mountain and said, all the kingdoms of the earth I'll give to you if you bow down and worship me. Now he wanted to save the human race. That's great. But again, the means and the motive. The motive would be to avoid the cross. The motive would be self-preservation. That would be the wrong motive. Right? The cost would be, I'd have to serve Satan. That's definitely too high. (laughs) The timing, God had intended for Christ to save the world and be king of the world, which he is now. He sits now at the right hand of the Father with a crown on his head. He is the king of the universe. However, 
when he was on earth, there was a timing issue. And it would come, but it would come after the cross. And so Christ was not going to violate the best timing for the thing that he desired, which was a good thing he desired. You see? See how it works? You can see this all through the life of Christ. So now as we wrap up, I have some questions for you to ask. Do you want to be like this? Do you want to be able to discern the best way to enjoy things? Do you want to be free from passions that rule over you? What you see Jesus doing, conquering and controlling the desires that are inside of him, he did that by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And what's amazing is he has given you the same Spirit. His Spirit, which gave him power and love and self-control, is in you. God's Spirit is in you. That same power, love, and self-control is in you, and you can call out to God and ask for strength and power and direction. He will give you power. He'll give you understanding. He'll give you deliverance from any addictions or bondage you find yourself in. If you find yourself in a hole because of your chasing after enjoyment, he can deliver you from that too. He can break all emotional bondage you may be in. So confess your sins. Get help in humility and be free and victorious. That's just a promise that we have because of the good news that Jesus is king. He's taken our sins away. So it's not like when you come to God and you're like, I really need help to break this this addiction. God's like, sorry, too much sin in your life. No, the good news is that Jesus' death has washed away our sins. Our, our guilt is gone. So when we come to God as our Father, he gives us grace and mercy and helps us in our time of need. That's the promise that God makes. That's the good news of those who follow Jesus Christ. And so if you're in bondage in any way to desire, call upon the Lord. If you need wisdom to, to make sure that you're you're not getting off in a, in a bad direction. Here are some questions that you can ask. Number one, does God approve of this? Is this thing I'm enjoying something God approves of? And you say, yes, good. Is the way I'm going about this, the way I'm going about it, is it honoring God? Is the way I'm going about enjoying this honoring God? So I love brisket. My friend's barbecuing some brisket for me right now. Eight pounds worth. I'm going to pick it up today at 4.30 p.m. Love brisket. I'm going to eat the brisket. Does God approve? Yeah, he made the brisket for me to enjoy. What about the whey? Now, if I eat four and a half pounds out of the eight pounds, I'm not honoring God in the whey, right? That's not honoring God. That's gluttonous. Number three, is this enjoyment likely to end up in debauchery or slavery? Debauchery is when you get off into all sorts of immorality, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex. Is this going to, is this going to draw me in that direction? If so, stay away from it. If it's going to bring you into slavery, you have some sort of predilection to something, and it's going to make you a slave in some way. If you're a thrill seeker, and you're just enslaved to the feeling of the thrill of jumping off a building without a parachute, you know, you know, you got you to use some discernment here. you got to use your judgment. Number four, am I wasting resources on this pleasure? Is this sucking resources from something else that I have a duty to fund, like my family, my marriage? My my own way, my paying my way, or my mooching off my parents while I'm chasing after these pleasures. And I'm like, yeah, God likes it, and yeah, I'm doing it in moderation, but I live off my parents. Well, that's that's actually a waste of resources. First, be responsible for your own life, pay your own way, and then with the surplus that you have, you can enjoy some things, and that will grow as you're faithful. That's an example of how uh, number four might be answered. And number five, is this the right time for enjoyment? Is the timing right? Maybe it's not the right time for dancing. Maybe it's time for weeping. 
As you consider these things, as you think about an enjoyment biblically, and that's what we've been looking at. You've been provided a, a listening guide with all the verses so that you can see that this is coming from God. This is God's word on the topic of enjoyment. This is how he wants you to think and how he wants you to feel and how he wants you to respond. And so as you hear these things, what do you do? What you do is you hear him and you think, yes, Lord, it makes sense. I, I want to I wanna be in charge of this emotion. I want to I be faithful with this emotion. So you respond in faith. And the next steps that we offer you each week are a way that you can respond in faith. So consider one and take it. Number one, thank God for the delightful things he gives you to enjoy. So when I have my brisket, I thank God. When I get in my car and I'm not racked with stomach problems and I don't have broken, you know, uh, broken engine, I thank God my car works. And when I, when I drive on the freeway, I thank God that I have this freeway that's getting me 25 miles in 20 minutes. And when I come home and I see my kids, I thank God for my children. And, you know, I just thank God for the things I have. I get good at thanking God. So I see all the things that I'm enjoying now. Because one of the problems we have is we don't recognize all the enjoyment we already have. And we feel like, oh, I don't really get to enjoy anything in life. And then we chase after many destructive things. When we could just be thankful and see the good, and our hearts will be full of delight. This is why he seldom reflects on the days of his life. Because God keeps to occupy with gladness of heart. Ecclesiastes 5.20. It's the first passage we looked at. He seldom reflects on the days of his life. He's seldom sitting around complaining about his past because God is keeping occupied with gladness of heart, because he's just grateful. He's a grateful guy. Are you a grateful woman? Are you a grateful man? Can you grow? If you do that on purpose, this is a faithful response to what God has said today. Number two, identify a pleasure or desire that you need to put to death. Number three, before you partake in what you most enjoy this week, take something that you really enjoy, you're looking forward to, and ask the five questions. Put these questions into practice. Ask these five questions about something in the future, this week in the future, that you're really looking forward to. Like you're going to go to a Laker game, or you're going to go out on a date, or you're going to do something else. You're really looking forward to this thing, and ask the five questions before you do it. Because this will help train you, retrain you, to, to look at situations more biblically. And then number five, or number four, if you are in slavery or debauchery, ask for help. If you're addicted to drugs, alcohol, sex, food, if you have any addictions that you've tried to break but you can't, don't just sit there for another year. Ask for help. Ask a pastor, myself, Pastor Thad, Pastor Randy, we love you. If you're a part of Church in the Valley, we love you, we want to serve you. You can ask a brother or sister who's older or wiser than you, a group leader, a team leader, but don't get stuck, don't stay stuck, but ask for help. Nobody's here to judge you, but by the power of God, you have been promised to have victory over these things which have enslaved you, and they can be broken, because Christ is the Lord of everything. So ask for help. So what are you struggling with? Is it anger? Is it fear? Is it sadness? Is it enjoyment? Which of these emotions we've looked at is your struggle? Which is your area to grow in? I want to encourage you to go back and listen and study the scriptures and faith of one of the four messages that you've heard over the last four weeks. Don't just let this series go by, but say, God, you know, anger, that's my thing, or sadness, that's my thing, or fear, that's my thing, or enjoyment, that's my thing. One of those four emotions, when it's triggered, can cause your life to fall apart. And what you do to be a faithful, growing, mature Christian, is you go back and you listen to the message, you read the handout, you look at the scriptures, so that God can really begin to transform you in that area. I want to encourage you to do that. If you need help, ask for a meeting with a pastor, a brother or sister in Christ. Don't stay stuck. And finally, praise God for his grace. Thank him for his goodness to you, and pray for those who are struggling with these four things, if you're not, and pray that God would keep you from being enslaved by these four emotions, anger, fear, sadness, and invalid enjoyment. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you'd apply this to our lives. Give us faith to respond, not to just let this go in one ear out the other, but like the seed that fell on good soil that produced a crop 30, 60, and 90-fold. Everyone listening to this now, I ask that you would grow fruitfulness in their lives as they, in faith, take steps of obedience. Please convict them when they need to be convicted. Please encourage them when they need to be encouraged. Please show them what they need to see. Please bless them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.